please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Back to Colossians 3 as we continue to work our way through chapter 3, where Paul is, if you remember, calling us to live the new life that we have in Christ. When we're saved, we're being transformed, we're being made new. We have not only a new identity, but we're being sanctified to have new perspectives and new desires and new practices, new habits, new pleasures, and on and on on down the list until we're finally wholly entirely new people. That's why the passage, the chapter starts off with verse 1. If you've been raised with Christ, if you've been born again, if you've been made new, then this is what is to become of you. You're to have a heavenly mindset, be thinking on Jesus. You're to relate differently to God's people. You're to put off old, worldly, fleshly, earthly, sinful practices. And then last week we picked up that even this new life carries on into our homes. 18 and 19, you are to be new in your marriage. The way you relate to your spouse the way you act, the roles that you have are to exemplify the Christian and the Christian's relationship to God and God's relationship to the Christian. That theme continues in verse 20 and 21 this morning as we shift from the marriage relationship to the parenting relationship. Christian households are to be different. They're governed by a different standard. They're executed to a different, according to a different rule. They are occupied by new people. And as new people, we raise our kids differently. We talked about last week, and I'll bring it up again because it's just as true here as in regards to parenting, that if the home is attacked and falls, it thrusts any society into, using a health term, critical condition. Societies all throughout history, and it's true today, fall apart first when the home falls apart. Last week we highlighted that starts with the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife, the man and the woman. When those relationships are attacked and they fall, soon thereafter society will fall. Carrying in that same vein of thought, when parents and parenting and the value and worth and beauty of children are attacked, And when those things begin to crumble, that's the next domino that will ultimately lead to the failure of any given society. And we see that today taking place in our society. Not only has marriage been under significant attack, where marriage is now this fluid, subjective institution that can be redefined at the whim of any person who wants to redefine it. It's no longer in society's view between a man and a woman One man and one woman. It's now defined however the world wants to define it in their eyes. The same is being done and the same is true for parenting and children. Children are cast off. Their value discarded. And the roles and responsibilities and the privileges of raising children as godly parents is not just minimized but actively under assault. The world would look at us as Christian parents who try to parent according to the standard of of Scripture and call us foolish, hindering our children, old-fashioned, narrow-minded, all the usual things. Now, this attack on raising kids 
happens in both subtle and extreme forms and every kind of nuance in between. I want to give you an example of just a few. A subtle way in which parenting is attacked in our world today is when even among Christians, we shirk responsibility for our children and pass them off to anything and everything else. We thrust them into that group, that institution, that organization, so that we don't have to deal with them. Somebody else can instruct them. Somebody else can define their morals. Somebody else can discipline them. Somebody else can talk to them about this matter or that matter or teach them structure or order. We see it even in the church, don't we? Where parents have developed this method and this practice and this attitude where we can just dump our kids off to the church for spiritual development. That's the church's responsibility. I'll just take my kid to church on Sundays or Wednesdays or to youth camp or children's ministry or whatever else and, and then they get taught the Bible and they get pointed to God and they get the gospel shared with them. That's, that's a subtle undermining of what Scripture says a parent is supposed to be and a parent is supposed to do. A parent may send their kid to an institution, an organization, church. Obviously, at times should. But the scripture says the parent is to always be the primary instructor, the primary discipliner, the primary discipler of the children in their home. In fact, the Bible says one day parents will stand before God and give an account for their children and not just their physical well-being, their provisions and their protection, but the choices they make, the decisions they make, and ultimately their spiritual condition. Parents are responsible, and the Bible says we cannot shirk that responsibility. We cannot cast off that responsibility. And any time we attempt to do that, or society drives us to do that, it begins a subtle undermining of the good of the home. As we shift gears to extreme forms of parenthood being under attack or the value and worth of children being under attack, under attack you, you know what I'm going to say. The most extreme form is what? Abortion. It is the gravest evil in our day and age. This notion that a person can choose whether or not to be a parent after conception. That that choice can be made after a human life has begun. That is the singular main issue of the times that you and I are living in, in terms of injustice, abortion. There are lots of injustices in the world. Nothing to the scale of abortion. And what makes it worse, as if it could be any worse, is not only does it happen in society, not only is it propagated and promoted, but it's increasing. So I wrote these sermon notes on Friday. And as of Friday, the World Health Organization reported worldwide Somewhere around 20,660,257 plus abortions in the world. 
those numbers jump by anywhere from three to four every second. That number is given just from January 2022, Friday. So in 2020, already upwards of 20 million induced, consciously made abortions. The World Health Organization says that number could be upwards of 25% of all pregnancies in the world. In Oklahoma, roughly 5,330 babies are aborted every year. And that comes out to roughly 9% of all Oklahoma pregnancies. A few months ago, I read a statement from an individual on social media who wrote and said, it's time for my ultrasound, time to find out if it's a girl or an abortion, because she didn't want to have a boy. The percentages of women being forced to have an abortion, or the percentages of an abortion being necessary to save a life, are astoundingly small. In other words, the vast majority of people know exactly what they're doing when they kill their babies. Most of them don't just have one abortion, they have multiple. In the last year, even the New York legislature has essentially legislated and legalized for all intents and purposes infanticide, infanticide, killing of children even up to the moment of birth. All that to say, abortion is not this passive, victim-oriented industry. It's this intelligible, conscious choice made by men and women, countless men and women, millions of men and women all over the world, every single day. And what does that do? That undermines the value of children and the role of responsibility for parents it elevates mankind and self-autonomy to think I get to dictate my life. I get to determine the standards. I get to dictate how it goes and what happens to the point of killing another human being. And not only do I kill that human being, but society at large says that's okay, even right and good and necessary, so that states, nations, governments even defend such actions as human rights. By all means, as God's people, we have grace for those practicing repentance. We have grace for those seeking repentance. We should, we will. Brothers and sisters of ours have had abortions. Statistically speaking, there would be some even in our own church. We have grace for them. We show mercy. But we also call it one of the greatest evils and obvious attacks of God's design for humanity. Particularly in the home. Well, Paul's going to write and he's going to say, you have to view children differently as the people of Christ. 
And you have to view your role as their parents differently as the people of Christ. In other words, this is an intensely, enormously practical passage for you and I today and anybody in the world today. And it's telling us, don't get your information from the world when it comes to children or parenting or pretty much anything else for that matter. But be defined as a parent by Christ. And the view that you have for children in your home and in your church and in your community, let that view be dictated and defined by Christ. Don't give in to the extreme forms. Don't give in to the subtle forms that undermine God's created order for the family. So Christians, yeah, we fight against those things. We fight against things like abortion. But first and foremost, in fact, most importantly, we must have our hearts and our minds and our perspectives conform to that of Scripture. Loving what God loves, hating what God hates, and that certainly extends to the value of children and, and raising them up in godly ways. Whether you be a parent now, or hope to be a parent, or you're a grandparent, or you're a spiritual parent in the church, this passage is important for all of us. Just a few texts in Psalms. Flip over to Psalm 127. Just so you can see what the Bible says about children. And the Bible says about raising children. You're likely going to know these two passages. Psalm 127. Verse 3. 4 and 5. Bible says something vastly different than the world. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Whether you've had children or you haven't had children, whether you are unable to have children or you now have grandchildren, whether you're just a, sp a spiritual parent in the church or just a parent at home, the Bible says children are a blessing, a gift. Flip over just a few pages to Psalm 139. Verse 13. David writes and says, For you formed, talking of God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Not only are children a blessing, but God is actively involved in the making of each human baby. And as God's people are 
understanding and perspective of them must be conformed to that teaching. So Paul turns his attention and he writes in verses 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 rules for the Christian household. Let's actually go ahead and read these verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. As we've been maintaining in this text, every aspect, every area of our lives as Christians now comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He gets to define everything about us. He gets to dictate everything about us. He provides the leadership and the guidance and the instruction that includes how you view children, how you parent children, how you relate to children and children, how you relate to your parents. Now, you are probably wondering or you should be at least wondering why are such verses like this important? And before we move on, I want to try to answer that. Why does God care about these things? In the grand scheme of all of eternity and the, the value and importance of the human soul and the lostness of the world around us, why is he writing in Scripture and concerned about the way parents treat their kids and kids treat their parents? And the answer is, just like is true with the marriage relationship, the parenting relationship serves gospel purposes. It teaches us something about God and it teaches us something about us. For example, when a child obeys their parents, we find that to be true of Christ. We looked at Luke chapter 2, verse 51 last week where he submitted to the instruction of his parents and obeyed them. That obedience from a child to his or her mom or dad is a clear reminder, a constant reminder, a gift from God to remind us of how we are to obey and relate to our Father in heaven. When we see, and it may be, well, frankly, it may be rare, but when we see a child obey, we are encouraged to obey God. We are reminded the type of obedience we are to render to our Heavenly Father. Just as if as a child is to obey in everything, we also obey God in everything as His children. The phrase, fathers, do not provoke your children, or parents, don't provoke your children. We find and are reminded that's exactly how God relates to us. God doesn't provoke us. God lovingly cares for us. God provides for us. God disciplines when needed and God instructs and, and guides and helps us to understand and grow. Verses like this remind the people of God the way that He interacts with them. If the way we interact is like children who obey, the way the Father interacts as one who we don't have to worry about tormenting us, provoking us, being unjust over us, 
condemning or criticizing us. He's a loving father, present father, caring father. Verses like this, they don't serve some arbitrary purpose. They serve clear gospel purposes. The marriage relationship in verses 18 and 19 is important because it pictures Christ and His church, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. It pictures the relationship we have with God because of the gospel. The same is true in verse 20 and 21 as we parent our children. It reminds us it's a built-in picture illustration of the kind of relationship we have with our loving Heavenly Father. The way He deals with us. So let's start where Paul starts talking about children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In terms of raising children, it's very important for them to realize the Bible is not just for mom and dad or just for adults, but it's for them. And it speaks directly to them. And children must realize and be encouraged by the church and at home that the Bible has things for them. Verse 20 is an example. It's telling them directly, speaking to them directly, that you can please God. In fact, it says there are two ways for children to please God. Trusting in Jesus for salvation is one, and obeying their parents is the other. Obeying their parents is a delight in God's eyes, a pleasure for God. In other words, they have the unique privilege and opportunity to make God happy. And they can do that by obeying mom and dad. Now this passage, this verse, it's important for parents to know these truths so that they can teach them to their kids. This passage puts the full weight of responsibility on the child to obey mom and dad in everything which has two implications. Number one, child, you're not the boss. You don't get to dictate everything. You don't get to make decisions. You're not the boss of your own life. You're not the boss of what you wear or what you eat for dinner or anything of that nature. The other implication is, mom and dad, you are the boss. You make the choices. You decide where we're going to school and what we're having for dinner and where we're going to church and what you're going to wear and what you're going to listen to and and on and on and on down that list. The responsibility is for the child to obey the parents. And thus, the parents are the boss, not the child. So as far as the child is able, they are to obey mom and dad. And I say able because the same that's true for a wife or a husband in relation to each other is, is true for a, a child and a mom and a dad. You can only obey as long as it means you're not disobeying God. Acts chapter 4 is true for every human being. We must obey God rather than men. Our ultimate allegiance, whether you're a wife, a husband, a mom, a dad, or a child, is to God. But so far as mom and dad instructs a child and that doesn't disagree with Scripture, doesn't disobey God, then they are to obey in everything. Notice the broad and comprehensive language. Absolutely everything. 
It's meant to be broad. It's meant to be comprehensive. It's meant to communicate that this covers and stretches over every area of the child's life. That's, that's contrary to worldly principles today on parenthood. Go to the average bookstore and pick up the average book on Parenting 101 or Self-Help Parenting. And it's going to espouse freedom for the child and, and an experiential kind of relationship they need to just discover for themselves. And the Bible says that parents are to exercise authority over everything in that child's life. They determine how the child does chores and what chores that child does. The parent makes the decision on who gets to be that child's friends and who doesn't get to be that child's friends. Makes, they, they make decisions on what kind of glasses that child wears, what kind of t-shirts those, that child wears, what kind of music that child listens to. In absolutely everything, the parent exercises supreme, unconditional authority so long as it doesn't go against God's word. Every minute detail of a child's life must be governed by mom and dad. And those of us who were once children know why that ought to be. Because children left on their own will always make poor choices, poor decisions, and therefore enter adulthood with unnecessary scars. Because they made decisions based out of hormones instead of intelligence. Mom and dad is the only halfway sane people in the room. And they exercise authority over every aspect of the child's life. Now, I want to say a quick word on defining children and then a quick word on children with no good parents. What do they do? So first, we have to define children, which seems unnecessary, but in our culture is increasingly necessary. It seems obvious what a child is, and yet it's also one of those subjective fluid things under attack in culture being redefined. So what does the Bible say a child is? The Bible says a child is certainly someone under a certain age, Certain mental, developmental age, things of that. I don't think there's a hard and fast age there. But the Bible also says that children are those who are still under the care of their parents. Those who are dependent upon them. Which means I would say in our age of prolonged adolescence where people don't want to grow up, they want a perpetual neverland where they can remain children. If they're 35 years old, they have a full-time job and still living with mom and dad. I still call those people children because they are in no way exhibiting a pattern of adulthood. They're not making their own decisions. They're not independent. They're not paying their own bills or mowing their own yard or anything of, of that nature. Sometimes those circumstances can't be prevented. We understand that. Sometimes that just happens. But a willful choice to prolong your adolescence and not become an adult 
in practice or mentality means, in my opinion, you are still under the authority of your parents. Dependent upon them for everything until you grow up. That is an important statement to make in our day and age. Because many 30-somethings fall into that category. If you're not able to be independent, then you're not able to relinquish everything in your life from the care of your mom and dad. Children doesn't just mean those under 10, or in our society, those under 18, or those under 21. It means those who are still behaving and, and acting and living like children. Now, to those who don't have good homes, because there are children out there who don't have parents. There are children out there who don't have believing parents. There are children out there who don't have good parents. What are they to do? Well, the history and the practice of the church is clear. The church becomes their mom and their dad. James chapter 1, verse 27. What is pure and undefiled religion? It is looking after widows and orphans. Orphans doesn't just have to mean missing biological parents. In a spiritual sense, it can mean unbelieving moms and dads. And you know how many students we have come through, we've had come through this church who fit that very criteria. They do not have good moms and dads. They don't come from good homes. They don't come from believing moms and dads. They're in our children's ministry. They're in our youth ministry. They've come through college ministry here. What are they to do? They are to be adopted by the church. They are to obey their biological parents or their guardians so far as they are able, but they need the spiritual parenting of the church. In other words, they need us to invest in their lives. To discipline. To guide. To instruct. To clarify. To help and aid. To listen. This is especially true for those who do not have children in the home currently. You have a unique, special, glorious privilege to adopt a boy or a girl in the church and spiritually raise them. To be their spiritual father or their spiritual mother. Feeding them the truths of the Bible and the glories of God. And washing them in the glories of the gospel. In fact, I would even argue the number of kids who need that kind of spiritual care is far greater than those who come from godly homes. All of this is important because this verse has been elevated by Paul. And how has it been elevated? We've already touched on it. These things please the Lord. If verse 20 pleases the Lord, and pleasing the Lord is our chief concern, and it ought to be, then we take verse 20 very, very seriously. It means we want kids to obey their parents. We want to help them obey their parents. 
We even want to step in and act as their parents when they don't have parents or guardians so that they might please the Lord. Paul has just simultaneously elevated this instruction to the highest of levels and he has made it a joyful pursuit. And for the parents and grandparents, you you teach and instruct this verse to your children not so that you have their unconditional loyalty, but so that your son or your daughter, that boy or that girl, might please God. That's for their good. That's, that's what a loving mom and dad does. You instruct them that obeying you as mom or as dad isn't just so that you can have your way. It's so that they can please God. That obedience to you is secondary. Obedience to you is really obedience to God. And that pleases Him. Okay, let's move on to parents. But before we get on to verse 21, there are several implications for parents from verse 20. So if verse 20 is true for children, then that means several things for parents. And I've identified at least three things. For children to obey their parents, number one, parents must be the authority that gives the instruction. Number two, parents must be present and caring for their children. And number three, parents must know God's word and lead their children according to its rule and in its direction. So indulge me and let's take each one of those separately. Number one, parents are the authority that should be given the instruction in the home. There's been this um, odd shift in the last 65, 75 years, particularly in American society, where parenting has become hands-off and children have been given large amounts of free reign and decision-making capabilities in the home, and I've referenced some of that already. In just 75, maybe even 85 years ago, the average home would have heard children responding to mom and dad with yes sir and yes ma'am. The average home today hears children responding to mom and dad with no. There's been a shift where the authority from mom and dad has been relinquished. And now, all of a sudden, parents want to be the friends of their kids instead of their authority. Which is harmful in a number of ways we won't get into. I have often heard adults make the claim that they go to church where they go to church based on what their kids think. Well, my child likes the youth group or my child likes the singing or my child wants to go with his or her friends. I've heard the same reasoning given for what kind of groceries people buy or what kind of cars people buy. Well, my child really liked this one. Furthermore, and more, more commonly, kids are given free reign over the internet they go anywhere they want, which I promise you leads to one end. 
They're given free reign with their kid or with their friends, with their cars, free reign in their dating relationships, and their hobbies. In too many homes, parents are absent. But that's not to be the case among Christian parents. For children to obey implies parents must be instructing. So, in other words, contrary to popular opinion, parents, you are, you absolutely are to be nosy in your children's lives. For their own good and your accountability before God, you are to press into their lives. You are to be controlling. You are to know every minute detail in their life. Especially as they're younger. You are responsible for guarding them. And putting up those guards. And putting up obstacles to evil. You should be looking through their phones. Regularly evaluating their friendships. Setting boundaries on absolutely everything they do. From what they wear, to what they listen to, to what they watch. Parental controls on the TV are wonderful. And I wish they could be applied to everything. For their good, that should be the normal practice. That doesn't squash freedom. That helps them become capable people. As I said earlier, children do not make good and godly decisions. I know from experience. And they harm not just their bodies, but their souls, maybe even their eternities. I can look back by God's grace even now and see that some of the spiritual things I struggle with arise from choices I made as a child. Parents, you have the unique opportunity to prevent a lot of harm in your child's life by being an authority to them. So again, when the Bible talks about children obeying, it's assuming that parents are the authority in the household and that they're given clear instruction over every aspect of that child's life. Number two, parents are to be present and caring for their children. If children are to obey, mom and dad must be there to obey. I wish that needed no statement. I wish nothing needed to be said about that. But in our fallen world, Whole entire books and seminars and conferences and, and organizations have been dedicated to telling parents to care for their children. Why? Because parents don't care for their children. So a whole book has to be written explaining why it's good for a parent to be present with their child. Christian parents ought to know this. God is present with us as a heavenly father. And it's a comforting promise. Our earthly parents ought to be present with our earthly children. 
And I mean in their company. But not just with your presence. I mean interacting with them. Hosting conversation. Doing activities. Shaping and forming their minds and their understanding. Teaching them the truths of the world in a time where truth is discarded. That is even the best way you can care for them. Being an, a, an exemplary Christian, exemplifying the Christian faith, what it means to follow Jesus. You better believe your child needs that. They need you to exemplify godly living, making every decision according to Scripture. They need to see what a Christian adult does who lives by God's standard. They need someone to exemplify love and conviction and care. They don't need, verse 21, someone to provoke them. They need somebody to be an example of God to them. As God has to teach you and I absolutely everything about reality, so your children need to be taught by you. And they can only be taught by you if you are with them, present with them, caring for them. It is far better for you and far better for your kids to sacrifice and block out time just to be with them. Well, thirdly, parents must know God's word and they must lead their children according to its rule and in its direction. Which, in other words, means they are to help their kids love God through Jesus Christ above everything else. It should go without saying, right? For parents to rightly instruct their children and for children to rightly obey their parents, well, parents must know what is right and what is true. They must know the Bible. Far too many parents in the church try to parent without ever consulting what the Bible has to say about being a mom or being a dad or being a child or being a godly man or woman. Parent, if you want your kids to be blessed in this life, it's not in spending a bunch of money on stuff that they want. It's in knowing the Bible and teaching it to them. And living it for them. As an example, as a, as a shining light. Too many of us are stuck in this cyclical pattern where we parent just like we were parented. Whether good or bad. The, the nightmare becomes true. I am like dad. I am like mom. Whether good or bad. Christian parents now have a different father to mimic. A different father to imitate. A different standard to live by. And they have to break free from the way that they were parented. And now parent according to the rule of God. This is the whole thrust of Deuteronomy 6. Let the works and the things of God be ever on your mind and on your lips as you sleep, as you eat, as you stand, as you sit, as you walk. On your doorposts, on your gateposts. Everything about your life to be saturated with the things of God. Psalm 78.4 We are to be telling all coming generations about the wondrous works of God. And how can we do that if we do not know the Scriptures ourselves? 
Finally, verse 21, real quickly. I guess this is the fourth thing for parents today. Lots of implications could come from this verse, like that phrase, your children, which reminds you, your children are your responsibility, not somebody else's. That phrase, lest they become discouraged, there's some implications there, right? Like the fact that children can be discouraged, that's a reality. Your child could be hurting emotionally, mentally, all those things. But the point of the verse is that word provoke. Don't provoke. The English word means to, to anger, or to incite, or to stir up, or to vex. In other words, we're not to torment our children. We're to be moms and dads of integrity, of clarity, of accuracy, of fairness, and justice, and righteousness. We don't parent them and discipline them unnecessarily. We don't torture their soul or torture their emotions or torture their mind. In other words, we act like God to them. Caring for them. Hebrews 12, disciplining them when need be. God disciplines those whom He loves. We discipline our children when we love them. But we're also like our good shepherd in John 10. Jesus Himself, tender, patient, understanding, gracious, merciful, kind, loving. We want our kids to succeed. We want our kids to obey and please God. We want our kids to follow Jesus and to love God more than anything else. The Bible reminds us over and over that children are fragile and they need the tender hand of a strong father and the firm hand of a nurturing mother to lovingly lead them through this life. You see, parenting has this unique privilege tied to it. It's meant to help your children see and relate to God. I pray with our oldest daughter every night. Some things change, like people and circumstances in our prayer times together, just because those things change. Some things never change in what we pray about. We pray these three things every night, Emberly and I. First, I pray and I ask for forgiveness for my sins. So that she knows that I too need Jesus. That my faith is real to me. Every night I pray for her and her sister's salvation. Like many of you pray for your kids. And I pray that the Lord would begin drawing her right now. So that she sees that not only is that my desire, but it's her need. And then every night I pray with her that I would never be an obstacle to her relationship with her Heavenly Father by being a bad dad. But that the way I parent her would be an aid 
that helps her relate to God the Father better. That's what it means to be a godly mom and dad. To lovingly direct our children toward God and to help them, not hinder them, help them relate to their Heavenly Father. I visit with college students regularly who struggle relating to God as a father because they had a bad one. They struggle relating to God's kindness and love and nurturing because they had a bad mom. Christian parents are ever mindful that the way we relate to our kids now might determine how they relate to God later, whether with greater ease and understanding or greater struggle and difficulty. So we take seriously that we don't provoke our children lest they become discouraged because God doesn't relate to us that way. God doesn't provoke us. We want to be the kind of father that our heavenly father is to us. We want to be the kind of mother that our heavenly father is to us in terms of the way he cares for us and loves us, provides for us and protects us. God's favorite designation in Scripture, his most common one, is that of Father. It's how he's revealed himself to us, and that's how he would have us relate to him. Christian parents have this built-in reminder with their children of that kind of fatherly care from our Father in Heaven. As we love our little ones, as they obey us, even as they disobey us. And by God's grace, we exercise patience. If you read in Exodus, the people of Israel have just crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. And in every chapter, they're complaining. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're tired. It would have been better for us to go back to Egypt and die I read those chapters and I think they are acting like children. And God in those passages is acting like a loving, patient, tender father who meets their needs and reminds them over and over and over again. I'm caring for you. I'm caring for you. I'm caring for you. I have your well-being in mind. Whether you're a parent now, you hope to be a parent, or you're a grandparent, or you're going to be a spiritual parent in this church. These verses are important because they're opportunities for us to shepherd little ones to Christ and to exemplify this gospel relationship that we have to the Father to one another. The home is not a second issue in Scripture. It's a place of priority. And for those of us born again, belonging to Christ, being made new, we value children differently and we parent differently. Would you take a few moments with me here and pray? If you're a mom or a dad, would you pray for your family right now?
Would you pray for your kids? And would you pray for the way that you parent them? If you're a grandma or grandpa, would you pray for your children as parents? But also for your grandkids and the way you relate to them? If you're not a mom or a dad, maybe you're a spiritual parent, would you ask God to help you apply this text? But also to love on the children that are here in a godly way. And would you pray that all of our family relationships would be picture illustrations of the gospel, not hindrances of the gospel? Take a few moments and pray these things and then I'll, I'll pray. Father, again, we come to you knowing that you are the source of all that is good. And confessing to you that we need your help. We need your help to be better men and women, to be godly men and women, not just moral men and women, but godly men and women. And we need to be godly husbands and godly wives, and we need to be godly children and godly moms and dads, parents, grandparents, spiritual parents. We need your help in these things. We recognize the unique opportunity we have to picture your relationship with us, you as our father and us as your children. The home matters to you for such reasons. We also know and ask for help to care for the little ones who come to church here whether they be college students or nursery children, help us to love them as our own, to care for them as mom and dads. Forgive us, Lord, where we so often fail. We do not live up to your perfect fatherly love. But help us as we try. Forgive us. Please erase our mistakes. Instead, make us lights for the gospel. I pray, God, that you would so make us new and so fill our hearts that we would value children as a gift from you and see the unique privilege of our responsibility to lead them. Thank you for these reminders that you are a father who does not provoke and we should be children who obey you in everything, seeking to please you. Let those things be manifested in our own relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.